0: Okay, before we get started with this week's podcast, I want to ask all of you a huge favor. Whatever platform you use to listen to the podcast, whether it be iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, whatever you're doing right now to listen to this podcast, give us a review. The more positive reviews we get, the more folks will be able to, to see that this podcast is out there. We'll get more listens, and we'll get our message out to more individuals. So go to the ratings. Give us five stars, six stars, however many stars you can give us. Give us as many stars as you can. Give us a review. Share us on social media. Do whatever you can to help spread the word about the Coastal Advocacy Adventures podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. And here we go with episode 21. We're going to talk about Cedar Bayou. This is a good one, folks. Thanks for listening. We go. I got all that. Oh, good. All <laughs> that, that's that's all awesome. That, all that croaker talk. My name is Jay Watkins, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I did say it. <laughs> all right. All right, folks. Welcome to the Coastal Epic Sea Adventures podcast. We're here at Casa Blaha. Again, thanks, Kay. For dinner, and John. I cooked it. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, John cooked some etouffee. It was pretty fabulous. Um, So we've got a full table here, and let's go around the table and do introductions to start. So Aaron, why don't we start with you?
1: Uh, My name is Aaron Horine. I'm a coastal engineer uh, for Mont McDonald in our uh, Corpus Christi office. Lived here for about uh, three years or so, and been just uh, pretty much neck deep in Cedar Bayou for... At least, them, at least that much time. And it never ends. I've no. <laughs> no.
0: All right, John.
2: All right, John Blaha, Assistant Director at CCA Texas, and I run our habitat program. Um, you know, it's uh, just a great opportunity for everybody to get there to talk about Cedar Bow and, uh, you know, how, how you know how did it come about? You know, what uh, how decisions were made, how the engineering was, you know, that type of stuff. So, looking forward to it. Mr. Jay
3: yeah Jay J- J- Watkins I'm a fishing guide here almost forty years born and raised in Rockport uh, and uh, man I tell you what I, I've seen the effects of cedar bio being opened and you know the tremendous amount of water movement and the change in the hydraulics and the you know the the way the fish have adapted to it uh, I, you know I just I just don't I don't really think that people totally understood before the before the opening, you know, throughout the process. I don't think they really understood really what a fish pass does. And, and you know, they thought it's a place to fish. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to fish in the fish pass. <laughs> you know, it's really, and, and you do, obviously, but, man, it changed the dynamics and the hydraulics of the bay tremendously. And, you know, we're just, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm so excited to be part of the process tonight and to be able to report the you know, the fantastic things that, that, that have happened because it, because it's open. Yeah. And, uh, and I've selfishly always said this, I've always said, you know, I wanted it open because a whole lot of people go there, which will leave the bay open. (laughs) You get the rest of the bay. (laughs) Which will leave all the shorelines open for me, you know, type of deal. But our fishing is, is so, so much better. And it's so much better because there's so many more ambush points for fish in, the base systems that we never saw before that people didn't know were there you know there's little points there's little drains there's little little um tidal rips that people didn't think about that were gone when cedar Bay was closed that are now back In the base system because it's open and those fish that predominantly live in that deep water that only feed at night which are upper apex predators those fish are moving up in really good numbers in lots of different places and they're predictable that's the neat thing about it they're predictable you know and uh, you know the other thing is and I have to say this the other thing is all the people especially guides that go to Cedar Bio every day their money ought to be on the table immediately when it comes time to reopen, redredge, redo, whatever, because they've made a living there. Yeah. You know, and I'm making a living on it too. I'm not fishing there. I fished there once or twice with John, but I'm reaping the the rewards in all the back lakes and on all the shorelines <laughs> that are in that in that vicinity. You know. I'm so, hoping
0: we can elaborate on that a little bit later. Yeah, we will. You're. So by the way, you're podcast that you graciously did with us last time was widely popular yeah well people love hearing from you and (laughs) and and, uh, some of your stories and certainly uh,
3: well the thing i always tell people is look my my information that i give people is not based on science it's based on experience i'm not a i'm not a biologist i'm a fishing guide and and very i'm not intelligent i'm just i'm observant and fish everything that i everything that i report everything that i see is from experience you know and so i mean you i can't be more excited about it well i mean i was ready is. i was ready to get a shovel you know when <laughs> it was starting to stand up i was gonna get me a shovel on my days off and i'm gonna dig it i'm gonna dig it back out you know
0: it resonated with with listeners yeah well was. that's good that's good
4: all right quentin uh, my name is quentin hall i work for the center for sport fish science and uh it's part of Texas A&M University and I'm real excited to be part of this Uh, I've been working with Cedar Bayou for about four years now Um, was there about two years before it opened and now about three years after it's been open so we've been taking a a really close look at uh, how Cedar Bayou has affected the biology of the Mesquite Bay region Um, even going up into San Antonio Bay uh, we've noticed some some pretty distinct changes before and after opening um, and we are continuing to monitor those changes as Cedar Bayou continues to change. It's a very dynamic region, and uh, the biology continues to be um, somewhat dynamic, but also very, uh, very very predictable, as, as Jay had mentioned, and also uh, um, very dynamic in the sense that we're seeing seasonal changes uh, in the number of recruiting animals like uh, baby redfish, baby blue crab, the panayed shrimp, <clears throat> stuff like that. Um, that we would expect to see in a healthy ecosystem. We're continuing to see those uh, even into this year. Um, as a matter of fact, we're actually going up this week to continue uh, monitoring that area. So um, things are looking really, really good. As Jay mentioned, uh, the differences between the before opening and after opening populations of redfish, flounder, uh, black drum, blue crab, pineo shrimp, you name it. Um, it's it just, it's mind blowing to look at uh, the changes before and after uh, its it's, i mean it's very hard to argue that it didn't make a huge difference for the better in that region how many weeks
0: or months before it opened were you out there you know getting your samples oh and we, doing we were
4: monitoring that area for almost three years before okay. it was opened and we've been monitoring that area for almost three years after it was opened. so uh, we've got a very very complete data set on that area um, it's a uh, i mean I, I can't tell you off the top of my head but it is hundreds of thousands of bins long um, in terms it- of the, the number of, of animals that we've collected there um, and obviously these are all juveniles that we're looking at um, because as Jay mentioned I mean the, the fish passes are important for the adult fish they do attract adult fish in some situations um, but the real reason from a biological standpoint that we're interested in them is looking at the baby fish and the baby crustaceans that are coming through recruiting. there exactly recruiting um, um, from the offshore adult populations um, and I'm sure we'll probably get into that a little bit later but uh, like I said it's just been a it's been a real honor to be part of this and uh, um, as Jay had mentioned I mean it's it's been undeniable that Cedar Bayou made a huge change for the better in that area.
0: Well, if you had to categorize the increasing recruitment after the opening, would you say it's on an almost on an order of magnitude greater, or I mean, just
4: oh, what kind it, of difference? <laughs> I'll put it to you like this: in three years of sampling prior to Cedar Bayou being opened, we did not find a single juvenile redfish in all of Mesquite Bay. After Cedar Bayou was opened, within weeks, as a matter of fact, of Cedar Bayou being opened, um, we were seeing some of the highest numbers of juvenile redfish along the entire Texas coast. So um, it went from literally nothing to some of the best numbers we've ever seen. So uh, it's it's undeniable that opening that pass made an absolutely, I mean, just monumental difference in that area. John, how do you want to um, how do you want to roll with this? You want you know, me to start? I, I with...
0: think,
2: like I said, you know, there's there's always since day one there's always been a lot of questions about you know, well, why was it constructed this way? Why was it? dredge this way why you know why weren't there jetties why weren't there this you know how come it's not staying open longer uh you know we're we gonna dredge it right away and just kind of work through it and i guess aaron i guess maybe just a little history about the from you know from the standpoint of when at the time coast coast and harbor engineering got mm-hmm. involved uh with the was a, a safe cedar bio inc uh that crew and involved you know and then it evolved into uh Eventually, you know, there is a laborious deal to get just to get the permit and then, you know, got into the county's hands. Things really started getting involved and CCA got involved in that point from a fundraising standpoint. And and here we are today. So, I, you know, we, I think it's kind of just a little timeline of how things progressed and why, you know, like I said, why some things were done and not done.
1: Yeah. Um So... In the beginning, whenever we originally looked at the uh, morphology and the uh, the order dynamics of the Bayou system, um, actually we had what we had as an optimal um, cross section, an optimal system, was actually wider and deeper than what we actually dredged. But when it came down to it, you know, money talks.
0: So, when so, you're it, saying it was it should have been wider and yeah, it depth.
1: should have been wider for the optimum. optimum. If we had yeah. the money, it would have been wider. Correct, been, correct. correct. Okay. Yeah. So it it kind of came down to that. And so, um, you know, what we dredged was, um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't 100 efficient, but it was it was pretty close. So um, the good thing was there was a number of things that that we had done as part as uh, part of the de- the design. Uh, not only opening up Cedar Bayou, but reconnecting Vincent Slough. Um, uh, back uh, in previous years, they had uh, dredged, um, <clears throat> uh, dredged Cedar Bayou and placed some of the spoil pile right there in the middle of, of Vincent Slough, which was like one of the biggest mistakes. Because you can go back historical images. And that whole area was completely clear, maybe one to two foot elevation, kind of the way it is now, if you, go, if you go out there and look at it. And so once they built that up, then dunes started building out in front. And really what that did was diminish uh, the ability uh, for the whole system to migrate across that zone, which is about 5,000 feet. And so what we did is try to help that along. We, part of the design, we removed uh, at least the upper six feet uh, or so of that uh, spoil pile, and then cut through Vincent Slough, and so I think we've we've all seen um, what that connection has done now since uh, Vincent uh, Vincent is connected to Cedar Bayou, and then some of what what John was mentioning about the uh, coming in and putting in um, uh, you know jetties, you know some sort of of hardened structure to retain it, and, and you know I've heard it a hundred times and. A lot of people, you know, have, have great things to say about, you know, what- uh, <laughs> The that, engineers. <laughs> yeah, that that's the way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, um, one is that would, the, the the ball would stop right there just because of the perting, permitting aspect. There'd be no way to permit a structure like that out there in that sort of uh, pristine environment when there was never anything like that before. It's always been a, a natural, uh, Uh, fish pass Um, and then the other part of it is you know the dredging was expensive enough so imagine tacking on you know uh, you know twice that to put uh, jetties out because one they're gonna have to go out pretty far and two they're gonna have to come inland quite a ways because that that channel wants to move so if you don't if they just stop at the beach and the channel gets plugged up it's gonna move and, and bounce around and go in the migration zone so Really, you don't want to put anything in the way of the of the natural migration of I mean, that
2: fish. Pass is a great example of that. But yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. It just yeah. didn't matter.
2: It was a short period, and boom, it was silted up. And makes a neat little surf spot now. But, <laughs> you know, there's no water flow or anything else there. So.
0: But what you're saying, Aaron, is that these natural passes are, I mean, the way that they, uh, during the life of the pass, they move up and down the shoreline. Correct. Right. That, I mean, that's what and well we'll get into the effects of harvey in a minute go into what goes into the design in layman's terms when you're when you design a project like this i mean you look at hydrology uh, type of sediment obviously sand but like
1: yeah so we we go in and we um one of the main things that we're looking at uh, not only the morphology which basically is how the sand moves along the shoreline because obviously that's what's that's what causes the, the mouth to migrate is the sand, the longshore transport of sand down the beach. So that's that's one component. The other component is, um, you know, the flushing ability, the tides, you know, once we open it, how, how well is it gonna work? So we used our numerical models to set up, okay, here's the scenario with it open, what is it gonna do? And we optimize it from there. And that's how we ended up with the, the Vincent Slough uh, channel portion uh, coming into it and then as I mentioned before, um, looking at an optimal um, uh, cross section to, uh, to get a volumetric flow rate through the entire system that would help it stay open naturally. And of course we weren't able to get that, um, <clears throat> but then uh, some of that comes into the the permitting as well, but mostly it's, uh, it's the dollar amount that kind of restricted us to that. Uh, to that template that you guys saw whenever we finished the project but those were the main things that uh... um, that went into the uh... into the design and really the uh... the morphology was one of the most difficult uh... to nail down just because it it's such a dynamic system because you have the waves coming from the gulf you have wind the aeolian transport uh... and then you once you open it up you have the different flows coming from Vincent. Uh, and then from Cedar Bayou. So, you know, trying to bottle that up in one concise little answer, it's it's nearly impossible. Um, So we looked at it and uh, came up with that, the optimum design um, to try to help it along.
2: And, Aaron, uh, you know, the first, I'm gonna say maybe the first two years, first 18 months, looking at the models you know y'all showed me i was able to see some of those models and how they predicted it was going to move and everything i mean it almost looked like exactly what those models said it was going to do that's what it was doing absolutely and that's
3: not to interrupt you john but that's the thing i don't think that a lot of laymen out there understand is that what you predicted and the models that you drew is exactly what it did Mm
5: -hmm.
3: that's science and that's success <clears throat> I mean, w- the way it migrated and the way it moved, the number of feet that it moved was what you predicted. You know, and 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 to me, <laughs> you know, to me as somebody that's, like I said, not smart. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking, you know, everybody needs to shut up <laughs> and leave it to the guys that are smart <laughs> to, you know, to to figure it out because it's done exactly what, really and truly, it's done exactly what you thought it was going to do. You know, growing up in Rockport, it's been shallow and not much water running and then some water running and then closed and maybe the maybe the problem did start when they closed it originally because of the oil spill in mexico i think it was years and years ago and and then vincent wasn't open mm-hmm. and the bio was just open and not vincent and you didn't it didn't have the same i guess the words hydrology it didn't have the sa- it didn't have the same hydrology you know but i was impressed and i get my information from john but I was impressed with the fact that what you said it was going to do, it did. So, John- And, that's, and that's, that's science. And, I mean, and most, most of us out there aren't scientists.
1: But everybody's got an opinion, that's for sure. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, but doesn't mean it's a good one. <laughs> well, and, and we, tried to, we tried to put it out there with that um, saying, you know, that we anticipate this movement with the caveat of, you know, you've got droughts. You got periods of heavy rain. You got storms. You got that. You know you can't you can't predict how no, those are going to affect Mother the Nature. Right.
2: And that's I mean, I think Aaron, you and I talked about this a little bit, kind of summer and Jay. I think Joe probably backed me up. We had some pretty damn low tides this, this oh, past yeah, this yeah. past spring and summer, yeah. with very little tidal movement for that carry that we've had the prior.
1: Two, two and a half years. Yeah, the we were, year we were, before. Yeah, we were being drowned. Yeah. a year and a half before. A year that. and a half yeah.
3: before, we had tides. I mean, I printed them out. Mm-hmm. What the average was and what they were that year, and it, they were the word the best word for it's astronomical yeah. tides. So you had a lot. You had a lot more flow. You know, and then you, you get some high pressure and you get some low tides and you don't have the rain that you had a year and a half before and you don't have the runoff from the rivers. You don't have the push. To, to, to that pass from from runoff and i don't think a lot of people no. understand that
0: so it was open two years 11 months right before the storm Pretty, yeah. september mm-hmm. twenty 14, yeah two 20 years yeah. 11 months before the storm yeah so were you surprised any, any of you were y'all surprised in the way that the pass uh, behaved prior to harvey i mean y'all just mentioned it did what it was predicted to do followed the models but what there was there anything about it that you're like, oh, I didn't predict that, or I didn't see that coming, or.
1: Well, um, we, we had known, as I mentioned about the, the droughts, we knew that you know during period of low rain, and you know normal or low tide <laughs> levels, you know there would be periods where there would be low flow, and that's that's exactly what we saw. You know, I think, I think what we had seen right after. Well, I, I wouldn't say right after opening because I, I don't know, John, if if you recall. One of the trips that we went out there, um, just right after right. it was in January or so, and the water was really low, and you know yeah. it, it, you know, it was kind of depressing going out there, and and then all the well, rains that year came up and just yeah. just really knocked well, out of the park.
2: It's like you know it was probably about that January February time. That was when the first. Oh my God, it's closed! It's closed! And yeah, Robbie walks in my office. He goes, "What's going on?" I said. I'm looking at the picture and I see it. It's just it's moved a bunch. And he's like, "You need to go down there and figure out what's going on." Like, but, okay. but <laughs> it's
3: also that's also the period in the winter when the tides are yeah, are historically tides. the lowest. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. historically the lowest. Me and you talked that day yeah. that you went over there. You know, somebody had reported that it was closed because they didn't pull up and they didn't, didn't walk, walk down there. Yeah. And when the when John goes down there and walks, he calls at me and says it's not closed. It's it's a small <laughs> finger. You know, but the tides are low, and they're gonna be low in January and February every year.
2: Yeah, I mean that day. I mean, that's when it had really made that first that hard move to the south, and had probably shoot by that time. It probably moved three hundred fifty four hundred foot, and and Vincent's was migrating, and Vincent's probably started migrating a little bit to the beach, and and there was a nice you know it was there, and that's I mean put it this way, it was deep enough that I stepped off in a hole and had. A close encounter, a whole lot closer than I wanted with a big old shark. Yeah. And literally had my hands on him. That's how close it was. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it it changes, and it's going to continue to change. And, you know, yeah, I wish we could have.
0: Well, was it closing faster than anyone had anticipated?
1: Well, it's – Before the storm? Before the storm? Before the storm. Um, We had – based on the historical movement that we had seen we had estimated approximately five to uh, to nine years you know depending on you know the morphology how things moved and so the issue was you know we had that period of long time no rain and you know <clears throat> that had a potential for dropping that down to you know, maybe three to four years of it, of it closing. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was for everyone, it was a little, little sooner, especially folks that, that uh, threw money into the pot for the whole thing, a little sooner than, than they uh, would have expected. But again, you're dealing with, um, you're, you're dealing with mother nature. You're dealing with a very dynamic system. And what we did is we gave it a kickstart. And I'll, I'll talk about that a little more whenever we get to the, the harvey portion of it but um you know what what was done before the dredging that was done before and in many years past um there wasn't a lot of thought put into how it's how it's going to affect the whole system how are we going to maintain this thing and so that's what we came along and actually put some put some thought into it
4: to kind of speak to that point um i I couldn't agree more with what aaron said i I mean these systems uh, these passes that are not um, utilizing jetties Are very dynamic and I think that a lot of people are very used to these sterile autonomous systems of what you see at Port A and you know do have jetties they need to be there the exact same place every day because if ships go in and out Um, but the goal of Cedar Bayou was not to create a shipping channel it was to create a fish pass and they are very very different things Um, and I mean that gets back to what Jay Jay's talked about earlier in the show that every time you go out, it's going to look different. It should look different. There's gonna be days that it's over your head. There's gonna be days that you don't get your ankles wet. Um, It behaves a lot like some of the big river systems in the Midwest, which is where I was born and raised. And so going out there and and seeing it change is actually a good thing. You wanna see that, that shows that it's a healthy ecosystem. It is dynamic. Um, And from a biological aspect, every time that Cedar Bayou changes, it's changing the habitats that are available to different species. And um, you, you need that and you want that in these systems. I mean, if these systems are the same every day, all the time, um, you're going to have you know certain species that are doing great and other species that can't make a living because it, it never provides them the opportunity to do better than what they are, they're currently doing. So uh, and in addition to that, too, um, from a, a more scientific standpoint, We've got research going back, I mean, over a decade, long before I even made it to the Texas coast, that, that our lab has done um, that shows that these recruiting redfish and crabs and, I mean, croaker, I mean, you name it, um, they don't need more than, I mean, four or five inches of water to come back into these inlets. I mean, these things are the size of your pinky nail or smaller. I mean, they, they're tiny. Um, and they don't need a lot of water, and they don't need a lot of flow. Uh, to come back up through these inlets and get into these seagrass beds that are in the bay systems, and that's what's most important. That's where they grow. I mean, they, they spend several years of their lives there and uh, before they, they migrate offshore to, to continue their life cycle. But, um, I mean, if, if Cedar Bayou you know is only six inches deep i think a lot of people get worried because they can't run a boat through it that's not necessarily (laughs) a bad thing i mean just because you can't run a boat through it doesn't mean that a a, you know a a 10 millimeter you know recruiting redfish can't get through it they definitely can and we've shown that time and again so um i mean from a biological aspect as it stands since september of 2014 through today um, I mean that Bayou is fulfilling its biological role in terms of allowing fish offshore to spawn and they're recruiting juveniles back inshore to grow um, and, and
1: from the get-go that was the goal of this project and, and those goals are still being met. Well that's a it's a good point because um, people have to have a little bit different mindset for a project like this because you know you think okay we're gonna throw you know five six seven eight million you know whatever the dollar amount, to a project like this, you know, and county gets behind it and CCA and all the folks um, get into it. And the the mindset is a project like a bridge or a building or what it, uh, a structure that you build. You want to spend the money. You want to build it. You want to go back two years later and it looks exactly the same. You want to go back 10 years later. It looks exactly the same, but that's not the case. We we fulfilled what we needed to do by opening it, and the, the understanding, along with what uh, Quentin just mentioned about you know the purpose of it, I think that's what needs to kind of take hold is is uh, the mindset of, that people need to have. I think both of you are spot on with that because this is this is this is not
0: traditionally what people think of when they think of a pass because we're so used to running our boats yeah. through right. a pass to get off. To get near shore or offshore to go fishing, and or for navigational um, well, um, there's, purposes. So.
2: There's there's a reason that you know no boats beyond this sign. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's right. That's well yeah. you don't
3: you don't see them you don't see them in lots of of the major river systems in the you know western part of the United States. You don't see them running boats where those salmon are going. That's and exactly those salmon are right. going a whole lot less water mm-hmm. than those than those juvenile redfish fry are going through. And they make their way all the way up the river. Yeah, big fish. You know, and, and you know, you, I, I find myself arguing with people—not really arguing with them, but, but, you know, kindly disagreeing with them. The I said, "You don't understand the, what a fish pass really is. It's a fish pass. It's for the ba- the baby flounder. It's for the juvenile redfish, the crabs, the shrimp, the mudminnows, the croakers, the the menhaden. It's for all those things that that spawn offshore." To come back in the bay, we're not saying it's a pass that every redfish and every trout and every flounder in the bay uses to go in and out of. Yeah, that's and, and I think the mindset is that's what they think. They don't realize what the bene, the benefits is benefits are. All of the all of the juvenile fish that are coming in. I, you know what I I mean I, I, I get excited about fishing and I've said this for the last two and a half years. Fishing in Rockport is better than it's been in 25 years. And you know what? There's nobody knows it better than I do. I mean, we're out there trying to catch them the hardest way you can catch them. We're trying to trick them into eat something that's usually purple, <laughs> which, if, which you, you, as, you as a biologist would, would say there's very few things out there that are purple. <laughs> you know, It's a good color. It's, it's, a good, it's a great color. But you know what? I'm, I'm, I mean, there's, I don't have a client and I don't talk to a fishing guide that doesn't back up the fact that their business, that their success is greater today than it was two and a half years ago. And the reason Absolutely. for it is Cedar Bio. That's the only
4: reason for it. And we've got the numbers to prove that.
3: Absolutely, we got the numbers to prove it. Well, and and, it, and it, it amazes me, it amazes me that there's ever been any conflict, period. I mean, I mean, why wouldn't you want a fish pass open?
2: Well, exactly. I mean, just just go look at the boat ramps around here the last year. And what Jay said, you know, I mean, I guess I've been fishing here since 1990. And I've lived here for, I don't know, 13 years now, something like that. And without a doubt in my mind, this summer was the best summer I ever had here. It was hands down. And I'm talking to me and Lisa and my buddy Alan or Mike or whoever there were days two or three of us we might have a 40 45 keeper that's not fish that's keeper fish day out of mesquite bay and when's the last time you can really say you you know i hear it
3: i hear it at at the dock i hear it on the on the internet through the fishing club through the blog every day people that are coming to rockport are catching more fish in that part of the bay, San Antonio Bay, Carlos, Spaulding, Long Reef Bend, Fence Lake, Allen's Bite, Allen's Lake. You know why? Because vincent Slough's feeding all that. Mm-hmm. It's feeding it. Exactly. Guess what? I've seldom, seldom in my <clears throat> career have I caught as many speckled trout in back lakes over just flat grass as I've caught over the last two and a half years. We target them back there, that's 100% because of Cedar Bio and Vincent Slough being open, because you've got communication there, you've got circulation, Mm -hmm. you've got, uh, you know, I I told people years and years ago, they said, well, you know, the tide moves even though Cedar Bio is not open, I said, yeah, it moves dead water back and forth, yeah, they said, what do you mean, I said, that water that's in St. Charles, that water that's in Copano, that water that's in Mesquite, Mm-hmm. It gets hot, and it gets dead, and it pushes it a few miles, and then it pulls it back, it pushes it, pulls it back. I said, with Cedar Bio being open and, and Vincent's being open, I said, it's new water every day.
1: And, and you get away from the hypersaline. Absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. and I just, and,
3: and, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed at it. You know, I'm amazed at the numbers of areas that today you can step out of your boat and walk to knee deep, thigh deep water, and start casting, start catching fish. I mean, it's you know, you don't want to say it's everywhere, but it's darn near everywhere. Yeah. And and every day, I, I you know, I try to explain to my people. Uh, There's a guy, you know, was, I had a guy, and I said this in the last deal, the last podcast too. It was like a right after the five fish limit. You know, it was like three days mm-hmm. after it. You know, and he was like, "See, you were right." Look how many more fish we got because of the five fish limit. I said, it "Don't have anything to do with it." I said, first of all, it's been three days." I said, "Secondly, I said, secondly, we're not going to realize that for a minimum of three to three and a half years." I said, "This is because the bio's open." He goes, "Oh, so all those fish came through the bio?" I said, "No." I said, "All those fish that are out in the bay." pulled up to all these areas these points these underwater structures these drains these back lakes where water is is predictably and consistently moving and i said they are creatures of habit and they are they are predators yeah and i said and that's why we're catching them you know and i've made statements to my buddies at the dock that make a living in the bio they're their companies are called Cedar Bio Guide Service. I mean, that's what the company's called. You know, uh, many, many of them type of deal. And I say, you, you guys need to be first in line when it comes time to start donating, yeah. mm-hmm. because you're making a living
1: mm-hmm. doing it. Well, it's it's not not only them. Where are they? Where are the people that they're taking out? Where are they staying? That, that's right. Where right. the what restaurants I, are they? I, eating I, you
3: know, I I don't I don't think that there's any way that people really realize the financial and economic impact that it's had, which what you said is exactly right. It is done exactly what you wanted it to biologically and economically. And, and, you know, that's a, that's a win win. Yeah.
2: Right. And I, know? I, I know we're kind of going a little bit all over the place in this conversation, which that's, I mean, that's great. That's the, man, that's that's the awesome. model of the podcast. But, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but I've, I've heard the, the term economics, you know, A few times already and I wish I would have asked this question ahead of time of of somebody I would like to know what the economic value this past since they've been open for pushing three years now what that has brought to number one the ecosystem and number two this community
4: well, to kind of speak to that point, uh, I can't speak to what Cedar Bayou itself is worth, but I mean, for the last decade, the recreational fishing industry within Texas has generated over a billion dollars every year, a billions with a B. And within the state of Texas, you figure that Rockport has now become one of the destination fishing spots, um, and no small part to Cedar Bayou being open, um, you can attribute at least a, a portion of that billion dollars a year within the state 2 Cedar Bayou being reopened and to the fishing quality going up. And you're seeing that uh, that benefit and that economic growth everywhere from the guides that are actually taking people out there and putting them on fish, through the, the restaurant keepers, through the bar owners. Um, I mean, it, it goes, This a trickle down effect. And so um, it, it's far more than just a biological thing. It's a part of the economy. It's a part of this region's history. Um, it, it goes so much deeper Uh, than what most people realize yeah
3: Yeah, i like the fact you said it's a part of the history because the first time that i went fishing with uh, john and lisa and mike leskowski i wrote an article about cedar bio i had not been back to cedar bio since i had fished there with my dad many many years ago my dad died a very young guy uh, about 60 years old and i was probably in my 30s i'm almost i'll be 60 in december and i made i made the comment to john when we were walking out there i said i'll I want i want to i'm not really interested so much in fishing i want to walk the same walk that we walked you know and i could have swore that for a brief moment you know in the surf that i saw that coach standing in the surf yeah you know and and you know to to non fishermen and non outdoorsmen that's it it sounds corny it sounds whatever but but it's history and, and he used that word history and Cedar Bio has a history with Rockport. And you know, we we preserve everything else in history. Exactly. We we, we preserve every building, we preserve every home that's historical. I mean, so <laughs> saying that, yeah. I mean, I'm like, well, that's historical, isn't it? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. we we'll do everything we can, yeah. to pro- and rightly so, but yeah. we do everything to protect the Parks and Wildlife. Does everything they can do to yeah. protect the big tree in Goose Island? Absolutely. I mean, is a, yeah. Why is a, a pass why, no why would Why would a
3: notorious pass be any different? You know, That's that a very interesting point. It, it, yeah. it is, I, and and you know what? What I've I've seen as a as a, a, a fisherman, like I said, not a not an engineer, not a biologist, but as a fisherman, I I see the older generation of fishermen. They're back. You know why? They want to go to Cedar Bio. That's you know, I used to go to Cedar Bowl when I was a kid. Of it, yeah. When I was a kid, I'd go to Cedar Bio. I, I get I get more questions every week about cedar bio than about anything else okay that just tells you how important it is yeah how important it is you know and I, I, and I and i hope i hope we don't forget that you know
0: i want to get to the storm but before we do i would like quentin if you could just kind of in a few minutes possible <laughs> recap <laughs> your thesis research and because it was all cedar Bio.
4: Right? Yeah, my, my entire master's thesis um, over a two and a half year period revolved around the biological changes, uh, specifically the, the fisheries changes that occurred in the Mesquite Bay and San Antonio areas as it related to Cedar Bayou being reopened. What was the title of your thesis? Oh, it's long and honestly. I <laughs> I have to no, look I, at it. No. <laughs> Sci- scientists like to be too wordy. I, I know. Yeah, that's why I asked. i honestly. <laughs> I mean, I'm a scientist, but I'm also a fisherman, and I'm an outdoorsman, and that's why I got into this profession, and that's why I love this profession, and uh, I'll I'll keep it as simple as I can. Cedar Bayou made a big difference. That that was the title of my thesis. Shane, do you remember the title of your thesis?
0: Yeah, the deprivation of uh, of Vibrio vulnificus and... So that's what my remembers. (laughs) (laughs) But uh,
4: no, in in all seriousness, uh, we started looking at uh, populations of these recruiting juvenile animals. Um, The main ones that we were targeting and looking for were redfish, Atlantic croaker, uh, blue crab, um, the panage shrimps, which are what are commonly known as the Gulf shrimp, uh, your white, brown, and pink shrimp, and then uh, southern flounder was another one we were looking at. Uh, And what we did was actually why uh, why those
0: because they're offshore spawners. Yes
4: all those species are are what we call estuarine dependent species meaning that uh, as adults they all migrate offshore and they have these mass spawning events and uh, depending on the species uh, those spawning events lead to eggs and then larvae that eventually will migrate back up these inlets And settle out into the seagrass beds that are in Texas bays. And they'll stay there for varying amounts of time depending on what animal you're talking about. In the case of redfish, which is a a classic estuarine-dependent species, um, the adults will go offshore, they'll spawn. After about, you know, a few weeks, the the larvae will start swimming back up uh, these inlets, uh, like Cedar Bayou, and they'll settle out into these seagrass beds for... Um, Several months and then they kind of disappear and there's actually some um, Debate as to where they go after that that recruiting stage All we know is that they stay in the bays for you know Three years or so before they're full-size and ready to go join that spawning uh, population offshore, so um, Mm -hmm. what we did for uh, this research Is basically look at the number of these recruiting babies um, during different times of the year um, because all these species will recruit at varying times of the year redfish obviously recruit in the fall blue crab actually recruit year round Uh, southern flounder uh, will only recruit during the winter time Uh, and so we go out literally year-round every couple of every couple of weeks and we'll we'll go out there and we'll tow these big nets and we're actually, from those net toes able to determine how many of these recruits are in every square meter uh, or square foot of seagrass bed uh, in these bay areas, uh, particularly Mesquite and San Antonio Bay.
0: So you're doing like a trawl behind a boat? or you're it, It's back similar to that. Or?
4: It's called an epibenthic sled, but it, it's okay. a, it's basically a very small-scale trawl that you actually pull by hand, and it's a very, very fine mesh. So um manual labor yeah yeah it's yeah you're in your stripes out there it but it's a lot of, of fun yeah yeah <laughs> yeah we, we conned john into getting out there and getting some free labor for us but uh, uh, it, was, it was a good time but uh anyway uh, long story short we did that for you know almost three years leading up to cedar bayou and we noticed very very depressed levels of these key species like blue crab redfish um southern flounder like what we keep talking about all the species that you know a lot of these recreational commercial guys are going after And uh, um, in the case of redfish, like I had mentioned earlier, we didn't find a single one in almost three years. So um, that's very concerning when you look at levels of these recruiting redfish around Port Aransas or, you know, other areas that have an open inlet. Uh, And then literally, if I remember correctly, it was 16 days after Cedar Bayou was opened, we started seeing juvenile redfish in Mesquite Bay and within that recruitment season, within that fall of 2014, we were actually pulling out record levels of recruiting redfish in the seagrass beds around Mesquite Bay. So, uh, and that was more or less the the moral of the story for every species that we were looking at. Uh, we saw you know huge increases in shrimp. We saw huge increases in Atlantic croaker, uh, redfish, obviously. I mean, you name it, Uh, we we pretty much, you know, across the gamut saw um, this ecosystem that was dominated by um, very low levels of of these animals to being, you know, absolutely, I mean, just amazing numbers of them. Um, The only animal we didn't really see that with was southern flounder. Um, They're kind of an interesting species in and of themselves anyway. That's a whole different story, but across the board... um, the response was immediate and immense and i mean that's something that we we can't reiterate enough i mean it just was instantaneous it was like flipping a switch
0: you probably didn't have cold winters which is probably what led to your not seeing the flounder recruitment that
4: yeah did. i mean it's been pretty mild um and i mean there's there's a lot of things that go into flounder uh recruitment that are just very very complex species uh, it's actually some stuff that we're looking at right now but uh, the moral of the story is, I mean, ninety-nine percent of these these commercial and recreational, uh, you know, uh, important species, I mean, responded just immediately and in a, in a way that we couldn't have even hoped for in our wildest dreams. And like I said, we've got the numbers to back that up.
0: Was there anything in the timing of the dredging of the original opening of the pass with, you know, the red? I mean, is that just the way it played out? Because you we opened the pass and then. And, you know it's, it seemed like it's right at the time when you know redfish are right there spawning so no, the, was that the, strategic in any way or the, is that just the way it happened
1: the only thing that guided us is when the work could be done was the uh it, w- it was outside of the wintering hooping crane window okay and correct. so that that was that was one thing i was gonna kinda, kind of kind uh, of dovetail into his discussion you know he can he can talk about all of those species and unfortunately we don't have you know any tracking of you know before and after of the hooping cranes but we know what the hooping cranes eat and we know that if the food supply is abundant they're going to grow their population is going to grow so you know i'm I'm not a biologist but that that just tells me that you know there's more food, you make more blue crabs yeah. Absolutely. exactly. And yeah. I mean, that, I'm not a,
4: definitely not a bird biologist at all, but there's been a lot of research done with you know with the cranes at Cedar Bayou in particular that show that you know, almost half of their diet during the winter is strictly blue crab. And what I can speak to and what we have seen is the fact that blue crab are really responding well to Cedar Bayou being open. And I, I cannot foresee any situation in which that would be bad for cranes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, it it's it's a far reaching um and, and very um in depth change that we've seen in that area and for almost every species it's been positive.
0: So you had to get it done by October was basically right yeah, correct. It had to get okay. yeah,
1: from the window was from April to October. Yeah. Okay.
2: Tax date October fifteenth. Wow.
1: All right, let's jump into Harvey because
0: I think that um, that's certainly worthy worthy of discussion. So, Aaron, what did Harvey, from your perspective,
1: what did Harvey do to the pass? Well, there's there's kind of two parts to that discussion. One is a short-term result of Harvey, and then one is the long-term. So. The short term is that um, a lot of the sand and the dunes that were built up historically, um, whether it was on the Matagorda side or the St. Joe side, majority of all of that material, based on the site visits we made, aerial photos, majority of that got pushed up into Vincent Slough and up into Cedar Bayou. So you go in cedar bayou um, and near to where um, the area where, if, if most most folks know, where that no vessels beyond this point sign was, the material got pushed all the way up in there. That's, that's, that's dry ground, nearly dry ground right now. Um, and so that portion of the original dredge template that we did in 2014 completely filled in. But the flow has redirected into, uh, old historic channel around, um, you know, it's a little further, I guess, to the, uh, to the South there. Um, and that's where the flow is right now. And the last time we were there, um, you know, I tried to walk through that thing and it, everybody else was back at the boat, but I, I, I started walking across it just to, I, historically that area, it's been, you shallow, know, right? yeah it's been shallow so i went back over there because i wanted to see you know where if you know if there's any any flow coming through that point and i lost the bottom and i ended up having to swim across uh that little section it so dropped out yeah right? yeah so i was yeah i was swimming i wasn't touching the bottom so basically that the the main channel of cedar bayou now is in that old relic channel and that's where the flow comes through currently so um As far as the impact to the 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 channel there in Cedar Bayou, that got filled in that little section. But as nature works, you know, it moved over, and you know if there's if there's the uh, um, the momentum, the push of the water, it'll find a way to come out. And then um, the real the um, and this kind of ties into the long term. um, But Cedar Bayou was opened up. uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the Vincent Slough was opened up. And if you walk over to the Vincent Slough side, you notice that almost that entire area now is at a very low elevation. Whereas before you had small coppice dunes, you know, the little small guys with mm-hmm. the vegetation growing on them. And then you had some of the, the monster dunes out there by where we removed that um that spoil pile. So in the long term, what what Harvey did is it Basically, brought that system in the migration zone back to what it was in the '60s, because what happened before in this in this uh, we talked about a little bit about the migration is that you know you can imagine this imagine Cedar Bayou the mouth over over time migrating across the across this zone, and if you got a nice flat area, it, it, it can, can move, it can migrate, but all of a sudden you run up against these big 15, 20 foot tall dunes all that erosion falls into the into the mouth and cuts it off and so over time after the uh, after the oil spill that's that's what we saw was happening is that it didn't have the full five thousand feet the natural migration zone that it had historically that was cut off to only about three thousand feet so um, what we saw in history is that it was after that point it was closed more than it was open Um so as i mentioned before we cut through vincent Slough to try to help that and then harvey came in and blew that thing completely down so now i'm anticipating to see conditions back when we saw in the 60s and 70s before the the oil spill when they came and filled it in because now you've got a very low area that it's the mouth is free to migrate across and now vincent Slough has got a almost a direct connection right up to the gulf again
0: so i'll ask again was there anything in relationship to the hurricane, was there anything that surprised you with how the hurricane treated Cedar Bayou or how Cedar Bayou behaved um, as a result of the hurricane?
1: When we were out there, you could see up on the dunes a little bit further inland, right, right at the um, right where Cedar Bayou came in to Vincent Slough, some of the higher dunes, and that was a actually an uh, historic uh, uh, dredger disposal area. That's why it's it's so high in that spot, and you could see that where we were standing there was erosion on that dune and so you 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 put on about you know seven feet from where we were standing plus you know about you know 10 15 foot waves on top of that and that's what caused that erosion back much further inland and so the biggest thing that surprised me was that the whole beach face uh, within that migration zone shifted back uh, about 600 feet so when you go out there and, you know, just going off of memory, you go out there, you get lost. Because yeah. all the landmarks that you had, the dune lines, you know, the where we had dredged the channel, gone.
2: Well, that first trip we went out there where you, where the bow dumped into the surf right there. I mean, there was, there was grass, there was the sand, there was grass right there. And it's, you know, thirty twenty five thirty 25, 30 foot wide maybe. Was neck deep, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and that line. Best we were thinking was almost in as far as the no boats beyond this sign. Yeah, uh, so it's
0: uh,
2: mother nature. She's she's mm-hmm. tough.
0: <laughs> well, Jay, so you've been out quite a bit, I would assume. Oh yeah, post been, Harvey. Yeah,
3: I've been I've been extremely
0: lucky. I have
3: fished a lot of days since the. You know, I waited till the power came back on in you know in Rockport before I really started, you know, taking charters. I had stuff to do at the house and and uh, you know, uh, it, before we get into it, you know, Harvey was one of those deals. Me and my, me and my wife stayed and and people ask me, you know, if I, was, if I stay again, and the right thing to say is no, I won't, but I think I probably would, strictly because honestly. I never felt like the house was being breached or the roof was coming off. It wasn't shaking. There was water coming in. (laughs) There was water coming in. Are you protected by trees? Not anymore. (laughs) Not anymore, I'm not. Not anymore, I'm not. But I have been. I've I've been out a lot. And, uh, you know, what's – I remember the first day that I went out, I was like – I stopped and the guy said – why, why are we stopping? I said, I'm not sure where we're at. <laughs> and he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, the landmarks are gone. You know, it's kind of like Johnny Cash's song. You know, he built that Cadillac, and then when he put it all together, the holes were all gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> the holes were all gone, you know. But the, the, the thing about what's, what's happened on the bay side is, you know, the, the power of the storm, and we call them. Me and J. Ray call them blowouts. You know where the, you know the water breached the land and went over the land, and then in, I don't know how it does it, but obviously when it retreated, it found soft spots. It cut holes, and some of those holes are over your head, and some of the holes are nine, ten foot deep on my GPS. They're extremely deep, deep guts that cut back into the lakes. That some of them just cut into the shoreline, type of deal. But from a fishing standpoint, and I've said this for, I think I've said it for probably 30 years. I've said, I don't want anybody to lose their life. I don't want to see businesses shut down. I said, but we need a hurricane. We need something. We need something to flush the toilet. You know, and and God has a way of doing that. Boy, I'm telling you. Be careful what you <laughs> he, wish for. yeah be careful what you wish mm-hmm. for you know but the truth of the matter the truth of the matter is if you looked at it from a biological standpoint you know kind of sort of that's what it was you know it was cleaning things out and getting things back to normal I, I had wanted i've seen to answer your question tons of tons of changes but i wanted to ask you i wanted to ask Aaron a question in the mouth of the bio Mm -hmm. under the sand is there like a riverbed that it migrates back to is there is is somewhere underneath that sand is there a clay bank that is
1: cut that it wants to continue to go back to well what so you look at it historically and we go back to this discussion about the migration zone it's naturally coursed through that area you know you have a hurricane and when we've got I mean, I've got tons of aerial photos here that shows, you know, uh, after hurricanes, just naturally, you know, it moves through there. So the thing is that there's a reason why that cut is there, and it's the least, the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. So you have that migration zone. When you go out there, what's out there? It's sand. You know, there's very little vegetation, and so I'd be willing to bet if you do a pretty deep. Uh, boring down there uh, you won't find too much clay
3: well and and i noticed that you said it had after this after harvey it had reverted back to maybe the original passive night of the 60s one mm-hmm. well, of the 60s we had carla mm-hmm. so is there you know i mean from a non-scientist <laughs> from a fishing guide <laughs> is there a correlation between hurricanes and you know the 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 pass being, like you said, point of least resistance. Yeah, it's probably lower there than anywhere else along that part of the island. I mean, is there a correlation to that? Uh, you know, we stayed in Carla. I don't remember because I was three years old. Uh, my mom called me after the storm, after Harvey, and she said, "Are you okay?" And I said, "I'm fine." She goes, I'm going to tell you something that you don't remember. She said, "Do you remember making a? You don't remember making the drive from Rockport?" to Beeville with a Spanish family that were generous enough to give me and your dad a ride with their five kids, their two goats, and their eight chickens. <laughs> and she- I said, and I said, you're right, I do not remember that. <laughs> I do not remember that. But she said, but she said, that is exactly what happened in Carla. And she said, then we stayed in Celia, basically the same thing except no ride to Beeville. You know? You come by it honestly. I come so <laughs> so I come by stupidity mm-hmm. <laughs> honestly. But but, but I'm in but, but what but what you said intrigued me because I said to myself, and see I didn't think about the point of least resistance. I said, now wait a minute, he said the sixties and that was Carla. Um do what's the his, uh, this is what I think people would find interesting. What's the real historic
1: past of the bio? I mean how long's the well, been and open? Well, and that, that's a great question. I was just going to uh, talk to that point. You know, you mentioned you know these hurricanes and the, and the, the different generations. So what, what we're talking about here, sitting at this, at this table here, is a very small piece of a huge, huge timeline. And I think people get hung up on, here we're looking at this little tiny piece, and really what we're talking about is, you know, hundreds of thousands of years yes. of this thing. So we co- we've we come hundreds of thousands of years, and there's there's a bayou there. You know, you can go back to maps, you know, um, uh, old uh, uh, hand-drawn maps, you know, in the 1800s, 1700s, stuff like that, and Cedar Bayou's in there. Yeah. Like, they have it drawn in, and so it's always been there naturally. So yeah. So, so my point is, is this, and this is what I, 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 this is would be
3: my, my thought. Really and truly, what the engineering did was just help Mother Nature, just help Mother Nature get back to what she once was, you know. And we obviously don't back thousands of years don't have biological data on the, you know, the the type of fry that came, you know through the past whether you know, the, the shrimp the the croakers the the redfish the the flounder uh, but we do today mm-hmm. and and I you know that's to me to me that's enough yeah that, well, that's a, that's enough and and I, I and I I go back to it I know people want to make it about fishing but it's about science and it sounds weird for a fisherman to say this but science is greater than Fishing, but it is about fishing. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I knew that was coming when I said I said, "Hear it because it is, it is." What did did we just say last about how
2: good our fishing?
3: I know it is. It is about how good the fishing is, but I I think that people
2: forget. Yeah,
3: I think for let's put it this way: my dad was a football coach, but he was a biologist, had a master's degree in biology. He wanted to be known as a teacher, not a coach, and and. I think people forget that what makes great fishing is 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 great biology. The science yeah. great, behind great science. science. Yeah. Great they, science. They go and hand in hand. They they go hand they go hand in hand and I I I just get the feeling that there's you know I, my grandfather, God bless his soul, <laughs> He used to always tell me. He goes, you know, some people get good at one thing, and then they think they're good at a whole bunch of things. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, and the truth is, they're really not. <laughs> you know, but I, I do think that. I think that people get a they they get in their mind that they've been really successful at certain things, and so their there's their opinion and their beliefs and their mindset or their the, the process is is they're great, they're, they're they're smart at everything. Here's what I know. I know I'm not an engineer. I know I'm not a biologist. I know I'm not, uh, you know, uh, a, a tech guy. Hell, I'm not even a good guide on some days. I mean, I got those days where I'm not even good at that, and I know, that's, what that's what I've what, done. That's what and I've, that's, that's, what I've done, that's yeah. that's what i done. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I have. I've got those people out there, you know, that think, God, oh, money, you know, what kind of... Hot Rod, no, he's not. I mean, you know, he's, he's terrible type of deal, you know. But, I, but I've always said, let's leave, the, let's leave the science to the scientists. Let's leave the engineering to the engineering people, you know, and, and, and let's, su- let's support it because they know things that we don't know. And that's what I think that people are missing. They don't, they don't understand it. You know, the minute it closed and it got closed, it was like there were people happy about it. Mm-hmm. Told yeah, I told you. I told you it was going to close. Well, you know what? If you would have read the engineering, they told you it was going to, too. <laughs> it just happened a little quicker than they thought. Mm-hmm. But you know what you overlooked? You overlooked at that, that two and a half years, and you said it tonight, that two and a half years of that bay being supplied with the juvenile shrimp, mm-hmm. crabs, flounder redfish that were that were going in there and here's the thing that people don't realize all of that all of that those those small species of fish that were coming in that bay the the fish that we weren't biologically targeting and seeing that spawn in the bay which are speckled trout guess what those suckers are doing they are they are moving up on every grass bed mm-hmm. every point every, piece of moving water, and they are wreaking havoc, okay, because they're predators. And see, I don't think that people understand that. I don't think they understand what the total impact has been. I do understand it, even though I'm not a biologist. I understand it because I see it. I'm catching fish on, on grass beds, on drains, in sandbars in the middle of lakes that hadn't caught fish in 20 years, and, and there's only one reason for it. Cedar Bayou and Vincent Slough are open. That's the only reason for it. Mm. And, and people can say, oh, well, it's the end of the drought. Okay, I'll give you that. That's some of it. That's some of it. It's the five fish limit. Mm-hmm, that might be some of it. There's not as many people fishing. That's not it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not it. Go, that's not it. Go to Goose that, Island. That's South not Charles it. Go to Spain, Goose Island go yeah. on a Saturday, a Friday or a Saturday, and see how many people are loading yeah. their boats up with their whole family and cots and, and 40 gallons of off.
5: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and going over there
3: type of deal. And you know why? Because historically, they've caught them there. My very first fishing trip when I was six or seven years old was with my next-door neighbor, Floyd Smith, that was a guide out of Key Allegro. And guess where we went? With Poppin' Cork and Shrimp. We went to Cedar Bayou. I've never seen the Cork go down that many times in one day type of deal. Okay? It's, a, it's historically... A a place that attracts people to go, and you know, I just like I said, I, I mean, I got excited about the bio because John was excited about it, and you know, I mean, let's face it, we love Blaha, but it takes a lot to get Blaha excited. (laughs) I mean, I mean, he's the most he's the most chilled guy you'd ever in your life want to see. But when you get
0: him revved up, um, oh, oh yeah!
3: But he was excited about the bio, you know, and so you know, I'm sitting there thinking. I didn't know where I was really at on it. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, how could, it, how could it be bad? What, what could possibly be bad about it? You know, which the truth is nothing, you know? And, and I, it, it frustrates me, and I think some of this podcast is to educate the people out there that biologically we've seen what we wanted to see. Recreationally, it has been off the charts. Engineering, it's done exactly what we predicted it was do, was gonna do. Yeah, we had a storm that we cannot predict that changed the landscape. Guess what? It changed the landscape a thousand years ago too. It yeah. changed it in the sixties with Carla. It changed it with Celia. It changed it with Harvey. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. But but guess but guess what? But did you say it was about five thousand feet?
5: Yeah. That,
1: that
3: same five thousand feet? Continues somewhere in there. It yeah. continues to want to find itself. It continues to want to find itself and grab hold, and and feed its way to the Gulf. And you know why? Because the man upstairs didn't make no mistakes. He didn't make any mistakes. That doesn't mean that we can't help him once
1: in a while. Well, <laughs> and that's <laughs> and that's a, a, a actual question that I got on a you know pretty large meeting phone call. Um, about Cedar Bayou and the, um, the post construction status of it and uh, the question was very pointed. Why do we need maintenance? Why, why do we need, a ma- need maintenance for this natural in- inlet if it's going to naturally open and close? You know and I thought about it for a minute and I thought you know that's really what it comes down to is good stewardship stewardship of the environment. You know it's good, it's just good business as a human to be looking out for you know the critters that well that can't
3: the, the key word that you said there is stewardship because the the largest and best ranches in texas are owned by people that are stewards of the land Absolutely. Mm-hmm. they're stewards of the land and you just need to look that word up and see what that word the definition of that word is and 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 you know what that's a, it's a great question whoever asked it it's a great question why would a natural fish pass need our help to stay open well you know what my grass in my yard grows naturally but it needs my help <laughs> to keep it manicured
2: and
0: I mean it's not the simple answer had it not had Vincent's not been that spoiled not been put into Vincent's or you know it closed in the 70s I mean we wouldn't be May not be sitting around this table having this conversation. That's a very important. I mean, we point. influenced. That, that, yeah. that
3: is, and and I do remember when that happened. And it and I don't know if this is the right venue for it, but that's not where the spoil was supposed to be dumped originally, right? Yeah. Well, that's. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of sort of. It was kind of sort of a mistake. Of, of
4: how it was done, you know. Which
3: guess what? Mistakes happen. I mean, yeah. it's
4: no big deal. It was also an emergency too. I mean, that that oil was coming towards. Absolutely. That was actually done in an effort to preserve the environment, and it was the right call. And to it make. was the and, right call at that time. There was oil coming from the uh, the Yucatan Peninsula. Yeah, PMX. And uh, the the call was made to to close Cedar Bayou in order to protect the seagrass beds that occurred in Mesquite Bay. And uh, I mean, it was one of those things that was uh, you know a do it now or don't do it at all kind of decision yeah. and and they went with what they thought was right, and I, I would agree with that decision today. Yeah. And uh, I mean, they had to do what they had to do in a very short period of time. And uh, I think in the long run, it probably actually helped. I think that um, what we're experiencing now is a hiccup versus if those uh, you know sediments have been inundated with oil, you know thirty years ago, we'd still be dealing with that. so.
3: Well, and and wasn't if if my if my memory suits me, what, wasn't the hoop and crane population at that time very low?
4: You know, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I know that it has been steadily increasing since that point in time.
3: Right. I I think if my recollection uh, is correct, that it was very low, and that there was some concern that we get this oil in here in this estuary mm-hmm. where these birds are. You know, their numbers are going to you know. I'm not a birding guy, but they are majestic.
4: They really are. If
3: you've ever seen one reach down and pick up a blue crab, Mm -hmm. and I I did a deal many, many years ago with National Geographic, and the guy told me, he said, I'm going to take, I forget what kind of numbers it was, pictures per minute. You know, he was set up. We said, we need to be set up here. When the light gets perfect, that bird there, I'm just going to start shooting and he said if i get one out of a thousand pictures it'll be worth it you know and you know to you know i mean to be part of that day and to be you know we take it for granted what yeah. we see out there yeah. you know type of deal we but but my biologically your what you're saying is exactly right they on the checkerboard of biology they said this is the best move and we're right. going to go well, with it and years. it was and, and, in, and in, in reality it was even though as a fishing standpoint selfish standpoint you said golly close the gum bio i mean you know which if you feel that strongly about it, that tells you how strongly people feel about which means it should be open which means it should be open yeah <laughs> <I
0: agree. laughs> right. and uh, yeah. we have we have we missed anything up to this point because we're we're at a solid hour now, probably yeah, a little bit I, over. I um, got a
2: couple of comments. I think I'll probably save them to the end, though. Just about well, the whole project. Or Aaron,
0: is there anything you want to cover before we um, try to wrap this thing up?
1: Yeah, well, just one of the things that that come to mind. You know, we talk about the the hoop and cranes and the fish and everything, but we've we've been monitoring. Um, you know, ever since it's open, we've been monitoring every year uh, the habitat out there. And so, you know, one of the requirements was to, um, you know, to be able to mitigate for this site because of the, um, the seagrass, um, not necessarily the seagrass, more the, um, Spartina. Um, the Spartina that was yeah. being affected uh, by the, the dredge, you know, the construction of the whole thing. And so now the, the bayou on its own has self mitigated in that it's recovered from the amount of Spartina that was destroyed. And it's almost doubled what it was pre-opening. And the seagrass is just exploding at the same time in that area. And what we know, seagrass equals nursery.
3: Well, and and to, like I said, again, no biology here, just a fishing guide.
1: The seagrass
3: in the back lakes, the seagrass along the shorelines is thicker, Healthier looking, healthier yeah, feeling exactly. than it's ever been.
1: I'm, I'm just talking about just right there. In,
3: yeah, you're talking about the bio, yeah, but right what I'm talking about here, is yeah. what I'm seeing on the inside of the bay, which I'm the eyes on the inside because I don't fish the bio very much. You know, you know why? Because there's too many darn people <laughs> in the bio. No, it, but, but we're seeing se- that, that seagrass is, is, uh, is, is, uh, is, it's gro- In fact, I make the comment to my people every day there's no potholes anymore it's all yeah. seagrass which is great which is great mm-hmm. yeah, so ama- that's that's another
0: result of the bio mm-hmm. it's amazing how quick that smooth cordgrass can recover and and establish itself john and i saw it yeah last year we went to the san bernard and um which was you know san bernard was opened uh several years ago and it closed after two years and um so we went to go look at it because there was a dredging permit for to reopen it before harvey harvey actually reopened yeah, it, blew it over. Yeah, <laughs> so that. but you know, we, we went and looked at it and Spartina is 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 everywhere and um it's just amazing how quickly that stuff can reestablish. and i i kind of find it i find it funny that not funny i mean i mean it's established it needs to be you need to reestablish it if you're going to remove it but it wasn't there when there was a pass, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and speaking to the San Bernard, it wasn't there, but well, now that it's closed, it's there. So you're going to have to mitigate for that. Correct. But there's supposed to be a pass there. So it's just, it's just a little bit ironic to me that sometimes you have to do
2: that. Yeah. That's one yeah. of my sore spots. In government. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's yeah. That's a very slippery slope discussion. <laughs> How
0: about you quentin is there anything we haven't covered yet to this point i
4: know i think we've touched on all the major issues um just kind of a recap i mean it, it's been just one heck of a journey for me to come down here and and be a part of this i mean this is something that started 30 years ago you know with people that uh you know cared and and have seen that through to fruition and i don't want the message um that 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 effort has been in vain i mean it hasn't been it, it not at all i mean these fish are moving through there every day these juveniles are moving through there every day um all of that work was worth it it still was worth it it's still paying off and like jay said they're seeing more fish here this year than they ever have and those are the fish that moved in three years ago when the bayou was first opened mm-hmm. that they're finally adults they're finally slot size you know you can finally keep them um, we are just now starting to reap the real benefits of that value being open, mm-hmm. and it, it's just going to get better. It really is. And uh, um, basically, I'd, I'd like to thank CCA and, and everybody who's been a part of this. I've been a very, very small part of this project. So we uh, you know, keep close to, in close touch with the CCA and with the guides around here, and you know, Aaron and I talk on probably at least a weekly basis about what's going on out there, and um, we're going to continue looking at it. We're continue monitoring it. And, uh, I mean, just rest assured we're keeping an eye on it and uh, we're, we're going to take care of it.
0: Well, we, you know, I don't want to make this seem like a commercial and I appreciate the, the favorable comments, but, you know, had it, if it was completely closed, we'd lay that all out there as well. We're not trying to make this sound like a commercial for it being open or, you know, for, for CCA or anything. We just want to lay out the facts. And the facts are at this point, it's the Bayou is open and it's doing what it was intended to do right i mean i'm not wrong in that not at all i mean
4: we've we've got the numbers to prove it and uh you know everything that the anglers in this area are seeing is is kind of backing up um you know everything that we're seeing as scientists and i I guess that's the the point that i'm trying to make is that you know aaron is seeing what he expects as an engineer um you know jay is seeing what he would expect as a guide um you know our team at cssc is seeing what we would expect as scientists um and it's all coming together and, and you know in a very clear picture that uh the bayou is is doing what it's supposed to do and right now it's it's still alive and it's still doing well
3: how about you jay well i mean I, you know i i have to i mean first of all i want to say this how many of y'all are phds in here most all of y'all are no no, no. Well it masters. sound y'all sound like y'all are. <laughs> because I darn sure no I'm not. <laughs> but you know, first of all, I'm I'm flattered to you know even get to sit here and listen to you guys talk about this. But you know, the the economics of this of this deal are so huge that if it if it was closed tomorrow, it's done what it's supposed to do. It has it has driven revenue out the roof, and it's put fish back in the bay where fish once were, juvenile type of fish. Quentin, a a, a three-year-old redfish, how, how how big is a three-year-old? It's, I mean, it's
4: gonna be approaching slot size.
3: See, that's I knew that was gonna be the perfect answer, <laughs> because I have said for the last two months to people, I said there are more 19 and three-quarter mm-hmm. inch to 20 and a half inch redfish, in this bay that i have seen in a lifetime okay you know what that is that's science and you know what allowed that science to be to be recorded engineering the opening of the Bible. i mean come on guys i mean you're
5: not stupid <laughs>
3: I mean it's 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 perfect and don't keep... we want to continue that <laughs> yeah why why, right, right. why would you want to continue why would you want to discontinue that okay guess what fish has been better than it's been in two and a half years We got more juvenile fish we've got fish that should be 19 and a half to maybe 20 inches in the bay after three years that's exactly what there are you hear I hear it every day at the dock guys will come in golly I must have caught a hundred 19 and a half inch redfish that's awesome
4: give it a year when they right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah guess
3: what guess what you're going to be saying this time next year mm-hmm. i'm tired why? yeah i'm tired i'm tired okay why would you why would there be any discussion at all about not continuing the support of of maint of the maintenance mm-hmm. of yeah. it you know because here's the deal it's th- these you know i keep trying to tell everybody here i'm the dumbest guy at this table i promise you And I'm sold on the fact that these guys know what they're doing uh, because I – not because they told me, but because I see it. You know, I didn't know anything about the redfish coming into the bio until, you know, two or three weeks after it started happening. John's my link to all of you guys. But guess what? The reason I asked the question I asked you just then about what's a three-year-old redfish, because guess what? That's what they are. They're 19 to 20, 20 and a quarter inches, and this bay is full of them, hmm. which supports the science that started three years ago or two and a half years ago when it was open that said these are fry coming in here in three and a half years is what they're going yeah. to be. And the engineering has, the bio has done exactly what it's supposed to be, have done. you know. And people need to know that. People need to know that. And they just need to support it, and they just need to take it for granted that there's pe- smart people out there doing the right things for the fishery that they're enjoying. So
0: I'm making a living off of it. <laughs> <laughs> I so, mean seriously. Speaking to the to dredging, and this may be for Aaron or John, I'm not sure, walk us through that process. Whenever maintenance comes along, whenever it's decided, okay, we gotta do maintenance, that comes from the county, how does that work and what does the timing look like? CCA
1: is paying for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and in a, relationship
0: to the storm too. To how, how do you ask the county them. or anyone to say, "Hey, so, let's suppose this thing was closed," and say, "Hey, county, we need well, we need money to open it up," and, and, it's, and you're it's dealing go, with the aftermath of a storm. It's, it's
2: going to take. It's probably going to take more money than originally planned for maintenance. So would be my guess at this point. I may be wrong. We're going actually doing surveys, what, this week, next week? They're doing surveys?
1: Actually, they're going to start tomorrow.
2: Starting tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, so that, that'll that tell the big story out right there. Uh, the, you know, as far as funds, you know, there's funds committed from hot taxes from the county. There's funds committed from the Richardson Foundation or matching funds. Mm-hmm uh so county has funds and then someone's right and those 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 funds are sitting in the texas parks and wildlife foundation not texas parks and wildlife department but the foundation right so they're sitting there protected earmarked, whatever is my understanding Mm -hmm. okay if somebody wanted to and and low low beats me up all the time where do i I get money where i send money you know craig or some of those guys where you know where can we send money Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation, you earmark it to. There's, cedar an, account for cedar There's an account for cedar There's an account for cedar bals. Okay, uh, that's kind of very general. I think Aaron can probably speak a lot more specific.
1: Yeah, well, and, and the accounts, from what I understand, talking to the judge and uh, folks at the county, you know, that's it's slowly ticking up, but unfortunately, where it sits right now, um, you know, even whenever we did an estimate from last year's data, when they looked at the bayou. Uh, You know, wasn't going to be enough. You know, to let's say dredge it down to what it was, what it was when we opened it. So what we were looking at is going in and dredging certain hot spots that had silted in. You know, just to just to help it along. And so in the the aspect of of uh, maintenance, um, as I mentioned, we're um, as as part of the project. You know, we're going out every year and we're taking surveys. So we're getting these massive amounts of data as we move along from one year to the next of what it's doing, which we didn't have before. So now we're getting these massive amounts of data. And um, as, as John had mentioned, um, there are surveyors out um, starting tomorrow doing the full survey of the entire beach area, Cedar Bayou, Vincent Slough. So then we'll go back and look at those numbers compared to the year before in the previous year and then when we opened it and then we'll we'll have a good idea you know we had a good idea of the volume that was required to go get some of those hot spots and we could you know we could work it into the budget if we had to go dredge tomorrow that sort of thing but now that's that's kind of up in the air because of Harvey yeah. so whenever we see that data then we can come back to the table and say okay now this is what we're looking at because of Harvey the, with the only caveat that If you go out there and look at what the beach is doing it's already naturally mending itself there's already a delta forming out in that area where i mentioned that the beach had moved 600 feet there's already a delta forming so that beach wants to go back to where it was before nature finds a way exactly so you know we're trying to get all this data information on something that's you know moving shifting shifting all the time so daily yeah moving daily so we're doing the best we can to try to quantify that and then put it into something that we can go to the army corps of engineers with a with a maintenance dredging permit amendment to the original permit that we have Um, and i've already been in discussion with them we actually had a, a visit out there um it was actually on the uh Funny thing, it was about two weeks before Harvey went out there with the Corps of Engineers, uh, folks from U.S. Fish and Wildlife, uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife. You know, just to, you know, have a have a look at the, at the Bayou, and what we're doing right now is working toward um, a 10-year maintenance dredging permit. So that permit will be in place for the next 10 years. All we need is the funding.
2: Okay. So, sure. yeah, it's good. On. Take the support of our members, other entities, you know, building conservation trusts. Hopefully, we can, you know, get some help there and see how these surveys come out and see how it plays out. You know, I think what everybody's got to remember is this is a natural dynamic pass. It changes, like I said, literally daily. I'll never forget this going out there the Sunday after it was open on Thursday and pulling up as we we're pulling up. I'm going, what in the hell is. Just trying to figure it out it already changed literally in yeah. three days and I'm on <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that whole area where we had yeah. the little that's ceremonial. Yeah. yeah that was all it was, gone it was gone, it was gone. <laughs> it was gone. Uh, and people need to have you know people need to have patience and have a, a broader view uh, I mean long-term you know long-term and, and again back to what Jay and Quentin were saying what is this pass really? And this is a it's a fish pass, it's a biological pass that brings biological life into this base system, this ecosystem, the entire ecosystem. You know, uh I'll echo what Jay says about the back lakes. It's like, man, this is stuff I've never gotten to do before. And holy cow, we're going back man, they damn good fish back here. <laughs> yeah. And it just is and it's brought all that to life. And, you know, I've heard the arguments, well, you know, Vincent Slew, that's higher elevation there's not a natural flow let me tell you that's bs because before cedar Bay was open the dredging process had connected to vincent slew vincent slew was connected to spalding and Randis and everything and we were in mike's boat and it was about a probably 15 20 mile an hour wind and there was so much current throwing through there it had us pointed into that wind Absolutely. So, you know, it, that's why you see what you see. And I think the airboat guys will tell you, you know, dang, we're running down the shoreline, all of a sudden the bottom falls out. Man, where'd that cut come from? You know, yeah. all up and yeah. down St. Joe. And of course, yeah. after Harvey, it's really <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it don't look. It looks like a whole different bay system now. But uh, you know, look at that glass half full. Look, look at it half full. Don't yeah, don't look absolutely. at it half empty. It just uh, it's it's frustrating. I probably pay attention to social media crap too much sometimes. <laughs> well, I, and, and, I, it, and it does frustrate me, and especially when I see it from some of the people I see it from, because uh, they know better. They know what the answer is. They, some of them, they, them don't. They they know what it brings to the system, <laughs> you know. And I'll go ahead and say I might get crucified for it, but half them suckers they're not. They don't even fish here. They're not even from around here. So. But the people that fish here, the people that understand it, the people that grew up around here, they get it. They know what it means and what it means to this system and what it's brought to this community. And if you go down to the Kano Lodge before the hurricane and ask the owner of the Kano Lodge, an Indian guy, I talked to him, I don't know, it's probably two years, a year before the bow opened. I said, man, how's y'all's business, man? No fishermen, it's slow, no fish. And about a year after it was open, I went in there and asked him again because I was, you know, begging for a donation. That's what I do. And he said, "Man, fishing, lots of customers. We stay booked all the time. Mm-hmm. So it it's, it's did its job. It continues to do its job biologically and economically for this community. And." and everybody around here so well, it
0: goes back to what y'all have said before if, if someone could do an economic impact statement mm-hmm. on this project and how it's impacted the communities in the rockport area what, that would be some great research we what did that what did
2: that 10 million dollar investment bring to this right into to the eco you know more importantly what it bring to the ecosystem from a dollar standpoint and you know, then separate out what it brings to the community from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in well,
3: place. and 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 you know, and and that said, it, we, we've said this before, and you know, I speak from a older fishing guide, you know, mindset. You know, it's it's not about the money; it's about the fish, because that's what we're after. Yep. Mm-hmm. And 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 most of us that have. Grown up here, grown up coming here. That's exactly what it's about. It's I see it in my guy's eyes. I see it in that seventy-year-old guy's eyes that's waiting in spaulding Lake with me and just looking at me like this is crazy. We're catching trout in this in Sand Lake. <laughs> We're catching. I mean, these are nice trout. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> these are twenty-five-inch fish. What's up with this? And I said, it's the bio. You know, and I. And it, you know, it just it it frustrates me to 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 see those naysayers out there that just don't trust the biology or the engineering. And mm-hmm. I go back to that. And I know it sounds like I know it sounds like you're beating the same old drum, but that's realistically that's what it is. that's what it is. You've got to you've got to trust it. Well, you know, I I said I said many many years ago. You know, uh, my dad told me. My dad told me before he died one time, he told me, you know, I was, I was 23, 24 years old when he died. You know, and I was like, yeah, those guys at the dock, they're asking you how many fish you caught, what the, they're trying to measure them. They don't know what the heck they're doing like that. And my dad looked at me and he goes, "J. Ray, you're not a biologist, you're a fishing guide. You know, it's probably hard for him to say to me, <laughs> but he was right. You know, you don't know anything about biology. And you know what? I don't. And that's what I keep trying to tell people. Most people don't. Most people don't know anything about engineering. You know? Leave it to those guys and and trust them. Here's here's what's happened. And I like that word caveat that you use a lot because it's a cool word. Not sure what it means all the time. <laughs> but it's a cool word. But I think this fits. The caveat here is is that is that economically and fishing wise it's been successful. And I don't think there's anybody that argue that. I don't think they can argue that. And so given that, if you've experienced that, then the biology and the engineering have been successful. Why Why wouldn't you support that? Why wouldn't you, with your last dollar, say, I'm going to do everything I can do to make that happen? Mm-hmm. That's a great
0: concluding thought. But, <laughs> and,
1: but, <laughs> but, and. There's a caveat to that. No, there's there's a, caveat. a caveat to that. Here's the caveat.
0: No, I, I did want to allow Aaron and Quentin the opportunity to, one yeah, sure. final concluding thought, if you guys wanted to say anything now, is your opportunity
1: well I, I was just gonna say you know we can we can get down into the details of um you know how everything's doing you know and you bring up it, it, he brings up the the engineering a lot you know and it's it, um you know for myself um you know it hits close to home because you know i'm not just an engineer sitting in my office miles away hundreds of miles away from what's going on you're swimming across the bow <laughs> i'm swimming across the bio, but i i grew up fishing surfing sailing all up and down the texas coast so it's it's in my heart it's it's a love that i grew up with you know from my dad going out fishing with my brother and you know it has nothing to do with engineering but you know i took my brother and my father-in-law out to cedar body to go fishing and i tell you what that just that just made my day
3: (laughs) absolutely absolutely because what and you know why it made your day because the engineering part of it, you were responsible for.
1: Yeah, yeah, my heart's in it. Your heart's in
3: it, your heart's in it. And John's heart's in it, and your heart's in it, and my heart's in it. And for the life of me, I can't understand why everybody else's is.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, one final, final thought. Quentin mentioned to me as we wrapped up the episode that the staff for the Center for Sports Fish Science and Conservation at the Heart Research Institute had a fish reported to them in Galveston Bay that was tagged in Cedar Bayou. So a red drum was caught in and around Galveston Bay somewhere, but this fish was actually tagged at Cedar Bayou want to get more information on this so we can share it in a future podcast. But folks, people tell you that fish don't move. I can tell you they're wrong.